Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. This message is a part of our series, Breathe, where we are reimagining life at the sustainable and abundant pace that Jesus offers. I love the way that God speaks through pictures. He speaks through the music. He speaks through the words. We're in the midst of a series on Breathe, and that video captures the transformation that is available to each one of us through Jesus Christ. A new year starts hard and fast. We can think, oh, you know, 2020 is going to be different. I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to be with Jesus different. Yes, I want transformation. And we're midway through January almost. And sometimes it's like, oh, nothing's changed. 2020 is not different the way that I had hoped and expected that it would be. I'm thankful that each of you are here this morning. It is cold outside today. (laughs) I thought there might be five of you here, (laughs) and I was happy to share with five of you, but I'm thankful that you made the time, that you made the effort, that you shoveled through the drifts, that you came through the cold because you want an experience of Jesus Christ. You want something to be different, and you're seeking him, and you've chose to come together this morning to worship him, to praise him him, to orient your lives around him. And this series that we're in the midst of with Breathe, it's interesting the way that across all the realms of our culture, it seems that Breathe is sort of trendy, and we are not trying to be trendy. In fact, we're sort of the opposite of what all of the blog posts and meditation and Uh, yoga exercise and counseling self-help practices are talking about. Every single one of them talks about breathe. And they're right. Physically, we do need to breathe. And the fact that we would take time to take a breath in and let a breath out does affect our physical body, and that's important. But what we're talking about in the midst of this series is that we want to be breathing in Jesus Christ We want to be breathing in who God is. If we think about the very beginning of the Bible and the way that God breathed life into Adam, if we think about the way that the Holy Spirit came like a a wind, and, and there's this sense of breathing in who the Holy Spirit is so that the very essence of who we are is filled with God, That's what will transform us. That's what will make a difference. So it's not by our effort, but it's by allowing God the spaces to be able to work within us. One of the verses that we've oriented this whole series around is in Matthew, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus longs to give us rest. And Graham introduced this series. He talks first about the way that you don't fix yourself. What we do is we come to God to be transformed. And then last week, we talked about the way that we're not in charge of our own lives. What we want to do is have Jesus lead us. And so today, what we're looking at is we don't want to trust ourselves. We want to trust God because he's the one that can see us through this. And the practices that help us to trust him 
our silence and solitude. So we're going to be looking at those today. Now, as we talk about this trust, Jesus said to his disciples and to us as we read God's word in John chapter 14, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. He knew that there would be things in this world that would be troublesome. He knew that there would be difficulties and pain and struggles. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. Trust in him is what's gonna see us through those difficult times. And, and so what are those things that drive us to not trust in God? We want to, intellectually we know we should. Jesus called us to trust. But there are things that can make it hard to trust. And so you might be asking yourself that, that question, Each of us is different. I'm going to name some of the possibilities, but for each of you, there's a different thing that might keep you from being able to trust. For some of us, it's fear. It could be that we don't really know who God is yet. Do we really believe and and trust? We have fear of what it would look like if he was in control. Control itself is an issue. Sometimes we like to do things our own way. That's why it's hard to let Jesus lead us because we want to hold on to that control some of us, not all of us, <laughs> some of us struggle with perfectionism and, and in the midst of control, we have to have things happen the way that we think they should happen. Like that's really going to solve our problems, but we think that that will. And so that can keep us from trusting God. Really, whatever it is, it comes back to having the focus on ourselves. And we live in a culture where self is a word that's really idolized in a way. It comes up in lots of ways. It's good to be self-reliant, to be self-motivated. We talk about self-leadership and self-discipline, and it's a good thing if you're a self-starter. And so there's all of these ways in which we focus on the good things of self and what self is. And yet Jesus calls us to trust in him, to take our eyes off of ourself, and to focus on who he is We don't really have the resources available to us to really make our lives exactly what we want. We can't control our lives. But God, God of the universe, the one that created everything, the one that has a power that's beyond anything that we can imagine, that God, that God has the resources available to help to see us through this life. Now, I was talking with my sister at Christmas about this series that we were doing. My sister is a committed Christian, leads a ministry in Saskatoon with um, over 200 women. She She wrote a poem over 15 years ago that completely fits with the series that we're doing right now. And so what What this poem does is it looks first at the truth about tiredness and the ways that we as human beings try to uh, cope with it in two different ways. So I just want to read you her poem, uh, The Rendering of the Truth About Tiredness. Uh, So here we go. Man's tiredness is the outcome of spending his energy on perpetual Worrying over situations, struggling to find answers, striving to make things happen, demanding immediate action, assuming responsibility for the outcome, refusing to accept God's purposes. 
Man's response to his tiredness tends to be one of two things. One, we just keep slugging desperately along, worrying anxiously, struggling deeply, striving diligently, demanding urgently, assuming dutifully, refusing adamantly. Or, two, we pray for energy so that we can keep worrying about the situations, continue struggling to find answers, maintain striving to make things happen, go on demanding immediate action, persist in assuming responsibility, and prolong refusing God's purposes. But God's response to man's tiredness is an overwhelming desire to give out his rest. And then she continues on about what God's rest actually looks like. So I thought that that was really interesting. In a poetic rendering, she's looking at these two ways. One, we just try to keep doing the same thing, thinking that it will actually get better. Or two, we do think we're relying on God, and what we really pray for is the energy so that we can keep doing everything exactly the same way that we always keep doing it, and we wonder why nothing changes. And so actually, there's a different way to be able to enter into God's rest. Jesus told us that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but that he has come to give us life and give us life to the full. He doesn't want it to be all those verbs and uh, descriptors in the poem. He doesn't want us to be endlessly striving. He's come to give us life and life to the full. He wants us to experience his rest even in the midst of the difficulties that we're facing. It's his intention that there would be life and life to the full. You'll hear us quote sometimes from Dallas Willard. He's someone who's written books, is a spiritual mentor, spiritual director, uh, sort of a mentor of pastors, uh, and his books are well known. And in this quote, he says that we don't need more time because more time will just fill up with what we're already doing. The way to liberation lies through a decision and a practice. I thought that was really interesting. We can think, oh, if I just had more time, if I could just take a nap this weekend, if I could just go on a vacation to Mexico and escape this cold, if I could just finish work on time and get home to eat supper with the family, if, 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 if I just could do this, then everything would be better. But if we actually had more time, and we don't actually change the way that we're utilizing our time, the way that we're actually choosing to meet with God, if we don't change the practices that we have, you can have more time, but it just fills up with exactly what you're already doing. You can go on that great vacation, but you come home and two weeks later, it's as if you never went on a vacation because we haven't changed what we've actually done. And so Dallas Willer talks about it being a decision and a practice. The decision that he's referring here to is that we need to trust God, and the practice is that we practice silence and solitude. 
So this quote was part of the beginning of a book by Ruth Haley Barton called The Invitation to Solitude and Silence. And this is one that I read in preparation for this sermon. I recognize that there is so much that I want to share and it can't all be done in one Sunday morning. You can't summarize a whole book. So I just wanted to highlight this book to you that if you're someone who wants to enter in to this practice of uh, solitude and silence, if you're thinking this is something that I do need more of, she gives really practical tips. She talks about the difficulty of the journey. She expands on the things that I'm summarizing this morning. And so that might be a resource for you. It's not for everyone, and I'm not saying everyone has to go read it, but there might be some of you that that might be beneficial. She talks about the fact that when we choose to be in solitude, when we choose to sit with God in silence, We are showing him that we are depending on him. We are laying down the busyness of our lives and saying, I depend on you, God. Solitude is the choice to do nothing. And that can drive us crazy if we're really busy because doing nothing can feel like a waste of time. And then silence is required to complete that solitude. And the really interesting thing is, is we can think that solitude and silence means that we have to have a retreat away, that we need to get to the mountains in Jasper, or we need to be in a quiet cottage somewhere, or that the house has to be completely still and it's impossible because there's children everywhere, so I can't do silence and solitude. The interesting point is that even a hermit who lives on a mountainside, you could think in solitude, 24-7 every week of the year might not actually be uh, practicing a solitude and a silence that brings them before God because we can still be busy in our minds. We can be alone. We can even be lonely in the midst of solitude, but it, it doesn't bring us before God because we're still churning, churning, churning on the inside. In similar fashion, if you develop this practice of stillness in your heart and mind and soul, you can be in the midst of busyness. Your house can be like in chaotic noise. You can be in the midst of a downtown city, busy street, and silence and solitude are still available to you. So we need to get past the thought that it's just about being alone in a picturesque mountain setting, but it's actually a way that we come before God, and if we intentionally practice it a little bit each day, this practice of stillness and silence before God can come with us through the busyness of our workday. It can come with us and be accessible because we can meet God in the peace that he has available to us in our hearts. And so this is what she talks about in the midst of this book. Now, one of the pictures that she shares is one that uh, Ruth Haley Barton, who wrote the book, her spiritual mentor said to her that you are like a jar of shaken up river water So there's sand and silt and and 
the floaties <laughs> that happen in river water, and it's all shaken up together. But you need to sit in solitude and silence just to let things settle so that the water can become clear again. You have to let time and gravity do their work to let those things settle. So some of you think in pictures, some of you don't, but that picture really helped me to recognize that silence and solitude, as much as it's something that we have to practice, it's actually part of the difficulty is that we don't do anything. There isn't a performance that's attached to it. It's not about striving. And so it can feel really difficult in our quiet time with God when we sit in silence because we're not filling it, and I'm not saying that these are bad things. It's good if you read your scriptures. It's really good for you to pray and to bring your requests before God. It's really good for you to focus on, on the words of scripture and meditate on them. Those are all really good spiritual practices as well. So I'm not denying the value of those, but silence and solitude says I'm just going to be still. I'm not reading anything. I'm not journaling anything. I am just sitting in silence, and it can feel like nothing is happening. So therefore, what's the purpose? It's a waste of time. I haven't accomplished anything. I haven't read three chapters of the Bible, and I'm going to get through the Bible in a year. Can't check that box. I haven't journaled five pages, so I can't check that box. So silence and solitude can be difficult if we're people that are driven towards doing something, at least doing something. Even if I didn't feel like I met with God, at least I can say, well, I did that. But silence can feel like, what a waste of time. And it's that waste that's not a waste. Because it's about allowing time for the Spirit to work in us, for the things that are churning within us to settle. We may have incredible experiences with God in the midst of that silence. He may speak. That might lead you to journal 10 pages. But it's not about the production, and it's valuable even if that doesn't happen. So we can come out of the silence and go, well, I didn't really receive anything today. Nothing really happened today. Oh, should I keep doing this? Yes, absolutely, we should keep doing this because it's coming into God's presence and it's allowing his spirit to have access to ours. It's giving over our agenda. It's giving over our busyness and it's saying, I trust you, God. I trust you with it all and I'm going to sit here in the silence. We can look at scripture and see the different places where God calls us towards this silence, this solitude, this being still. So one of the famous passages is in Psalms, Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. The interesting thing is, is that this scripture is a scripture that starts with there being a lot of trouble. Basically, it begins with these verses, verse to, verses 1 to 3. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. This is a psalm about everything going wrong, the world around you collapsing. 
And it summarizes by the end saying, be still and know that I am God. That phrase, be still, also means or can have the connotation of let go of your grip. We can hold on to things so tightly. This is what I need to do. This is the only way that this situation is going to get better. If I can just make this happen. But what this verse tells us is we have to let go of our grip and know that God is God. Another place in the Psalms, the psalmist says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. For God alone, we want to focus our thoughts towards him. This calls us to be alone and in silence, focusing on God, that he is the only one. He is over everything, and we will trust him. Then when we move into the prophets a little later on in the Bible, Isaiah says this, but they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. There's this sense of waiting on the Lord and it requires us to be still, to show that we depend on God. Waiting requires that we have a dependence on God. And then two, that there's a willingness to let God decide the terms. I would really, really, really like to tell God the terms that I want for my life. I really would like it if you would do this, this, and this. And it's okay to bring our requests before God. He asks us to come with the desires of our heart. He asks us to come with our requests. But I can't demand that those things are the things that have to happen. I can't say that this is the only way that it will work out. And so I need to wait upon the Lord, trust that his ways will work in this life, that it will be okay if I follow his ways, that he is with me even if I don't see how this is actually working out. I think that that one of the cautions with this verse is we really want the mount up on wings like eagles, and we really want to run and not be weary, and we want to really walk and not faint. That's the really good part. And sometimes we use this verse, and if I refer back to my sister's poem, we just want to pray for God's strength so that we can keep doing everything that we normally do, because what God promised, I'm going to mount up on wings like eagles, and I'm going to run and not be weary, so I can run three marathons. That's okay. Let's go do it. And if God calls you to do that, okay. (laughs) But it's not this blanket promise that if you just pray for energy, you can keep living this crazy, hectic lifestyle. It starts with wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord and depend on him. And if we keep going through scripture, we see Jesus setting this example. Jesus, who was God, who came in human form, and he showed us what it was like to lead a rhythm of rest, of silence and solitude and rest before him. Things got really busy with him and the disciples and said, because so many people were coming and going and they didn't even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to the apostles, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus patterned this so that we would know how to live, that we need to get away with him to a quiet place and rest. 
Another famous writer, A.W. Tozer, he said, the discipline of silence is the price that we pay to get to know God. And the reason that he refers to it as a price to pay is that it's not easy to enter into the silence. It's great to talk, like I said, to talk about it kind of romantically, like go to the mountains, go to a quiet cottage, it'll be so beautiful. And it might be. I'm not saying those aren't beautiful. I love connecting with God in nature. But what can happen in the silence is all the negative stuff gets stirred up. Our fears can come to the surface, our anger, our greed. Sometimes in the silence, um, our mind just turns and we have all these like arguments with people we're not even really talking to. It can be difficult because all of this stuff gets stirred up. And so that's why there's a discipline to actually setting aside the time for it. It's not a place of like a private therapeutic practice. It's actually a place of conversion, of transformation, where Jesus takes our old self and says, this is what you have to let go of. This is what has to die so that the new self can be born, that the new self can be transformed and you can live in a different way. Henry Nouwen had this to say. He said, in silence and solitude, I get rid of my scaffolding. There's no friends to talk with, no telephone calls to make, no meetings to attend, no music to entertain, no books to distract. It's just me, weak and sinful and deprived and broken. It's a nothingness. And it is this nothingness that I have to face in my solitude, a nothingness that is so dreadful that everything in me wants to run to my friends, my work, my distractions, so that I can forget my nothingness and make myself believe that I am actually worth something. Some of the writers that I've been reading about talk about the way that sometimes when you know that you're about to set aside time for silence and solitude, you'd rather do anything else but sit in silence. It's even more interesting or more appealing to wash the dishes or clean the house or shovel the driveway because we protest this. And I come back to the fact that we have an enemy of our souls who is trying to distract us, who is trying to keep us from this blessing that God wants for us, that he wants to meet us, he wants to give us our rest. So I'm going to look at silence and solitude and just share a couple of the, a few of the tips that I've read. The first one it's really simple, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. I didn't even think of that one. Talks about the little solitudes. Claiming the little spaces in your day where I would say that this one kind of piggybacks on gratitude. Taking a moment to notice the beautiful in your life. Um, a moment of silence when you take the dog out at night for a pee break and the stars are beautiful. It's a moment of silence. Thank you, God, for that. There's maybe a moment of silence as all the kids finally fall asleep. Whew, a moment of silence. Thank you, God, for this moment of silence. And he enters in. They even shared a tip that maybe when you're driving, you can just ask the kids to be quiet for 60 seconds. It's a game. And whew, that can be a little solitude. Just 60 seconds of silence where you can focus your heart towards God. Then there's the idea of taking the 10-minute retreat. And as much as 10 minutes doesn't sound long, Ruth Haley Barton in her book talks about the way she had to start with two minutes. Like her intentional practice was two minutes. She couldn't even do five minutes. Two minutes of silence was all she could manage. And so I let you know that because don't expect too much of yourself if you're going to practice silence in your quiet time. Start with one minute. 
that goes okay, then do two minutes. Rob Reamer, the author of Soul Care, he shared about the 10-minute retreat. Then in the midst of a busy day, he'll even just turn his chair uh, at his desk and look out the window and take a 10-minute retreat with, great, with God, just a little break in the middle of the day. It can help to find or to develop a quiet place for you, whether that's a chair that you always sit in, a place where you always walk, um, a, po- a body posture. For some people, it's kneeling or lying on the floor. Uh, sitting comfortably is fine. Laying down, you might fall asleep. <laughs> um, but finding and developing a space. There was an example about within a family, they've designated one chair as the quiet chair, not as a punishment for children. You go there and you have to be quiet. But a chair where family members knew that if someone was sitting there, you don't bother them that they just need to be alone in their thoughts for a moment. The family still circles all around them, the TV might still be on, but that chair is the quiet place. It's been developed within that family as a place where this is where you can go to meet with God. It's important to set aside times, because it's not gonna happen if you don't plan for it to happen, because the enemy's gonna keep stealing it away. Oh, maybe if, the, maybe if it just got quiet, I'd have silence, or maybe if everything just all worked out perfectly and all lined up, I'd have silence. No, you have to plan it, and you have to make it happen. The distractions will come. We need to focus our thoughts. Henry Nouwen describes the way that our thoughts are like crazy monkeys in a banana tree. They just keep screaming at us and chattering, chattering, chattering. And we need to focus ourselves on God. And in the midst of it, don't give up. (laughs) It's going to be hard. We talked about the fact that it can stir up lots of things as God wants to transform us. So don't give up. Continue in that practice. Keep trusting God. Keep trusting him with your time, your schedulness, the busyness. Keep coming before him in set-aside silence and solitude so that you are showing him, choosing to act in a way that shows that you trust him and that he is Lord over your life. So I'm going to share just quickly a story of how this kind of played out for me and something that was really profound that God did share with me. I recognize in sharing this story that it's a little bit, it almost goes against what I was saying, that silence and solitude isn't about production. It isn't about what you receive from God. If I were to tell you about all the moments of silence and solitude that led up to this one moment where God did give me something, all of those other times are pretty boring. (laughs) Nothing happened. How can I tell you about nothing happening? There's a practice of silence and solitude. And one of the things that's difficult, and I recognize, and even in Ruth's book, she did not refer to this. She talked about the difficulty of silence and solitude when your life is busy and there's tons of people around you. But she didn't address what it looks like when life is lonely. When you're separated from people and it's difficult to be in silence and solitude because there's too much silence. There's that aspect of being the hermit on a mountainside and not connecting with God because we're not able to still the the churning pain of the loneliness inside of us to actually meet with God. You guys know, I've mentioned this before, about a year ago I had a concussion 
And so that had its limitations on me for a while, dealing with all of the concussion symptoms. And I still wrestle with the vision issues and the headaches that are a part of that. And then in the spring, I developed this lovely virus that was attacking my heart and lungs. And so for six months, there was that on top of the concussion. And it was really limiting. I couldn't walk up a flight of stairs without stopping three times. I, uh, it felt like I ran a marathon just to get showered and dressed, and I'd have to sit by the front door just waiting for the energy to even be able to then drive to work. It was a difficult time and a lonely time, and because of the vision issues, I wasn't able to read my Bible necessarily in the same way. In the morning, everything's blurry, and morning's my favorite time to be with God. And I got a little sick of silence and solitude. <laughs> don't want it anymore. I don't like being lonely. Uh, we do need a balance. God also wants us to be in community. And so there's this balance that needs to be in our life. And I recognize that for some of you, that's not just a period of a year. That can feel like your whole life or the whole life ahead of you because the limitations of health or the painfulness of the relationships that you're in. So as pastors, we went away to prayer retreat, and I hadn't been uh, able to be away overnight anywhere for a year. I'm finally starting to feel a bit better, and I'm looking forward to prayer retreat, music and speakers, and the chance to be away with 600 other pastors. Well, my limitations mean I can't really be in the worship because it uh, increases the headaches too much. Then I get a cold and a flu, and I'm so sick. And it's like that separates me from everyone because I'm so sick and I can't even go out and walk in the midst of the beautiful mountains. I was pretty whiny and pretty miserable. (laughs) I wasn't very happy about the silence and the solitude that was like, felt like I was being trapped in it. But I know to keep trusting God, even if I don't like it and I don't like how it feels. And after that year, this is what God gave me. I was walking through the hallways of the hotel, and there's a gift boutique, and there was a statue of a mountain goat. Put a picture up on the screen that is kind of similar, but the statue was even more dramatic, the angle of the hill even steeper. Each foot was on a different level of a rocky surface that seemed impossible to take a next step. One foot was lifted and in the air, ready to take that next step. And in that moment, I felt like God downloaded so much to me. It didn't happen in all those other times and practices and silence and solitude, which just felt painful and agonizing and a waste of time. But eventually the moment comes where God gives you something that you need. For me, this reminds me of the phrase, hinds feet on high places. That's the King James version of talking about being as sure-footed as a deer on the high places. Now, for me, there's this aspect of Even where there is no path, even where it seems like it's impossible to walk, even where the next step seems treacherous and impossible, God makes a way. And so I don't trust myself. My goodness, if I walked on that cliff, I'd fall to my death. But with God, the next step is possible. And that's what he gives me in the silence and the solitude. The verses that came with that, 
Yes, there are verses in Psalms about it, but I didn't realize that one of the verses that talk about being as sure-footed as a deer on the heights is in Habakkuk chapter three, some of my favorite verses, 17 and 18, and then it goes on into 19. And it's a bit of a lament, all the things that can go wrong in your life. So even though there are no blossoms on the fig trees and no grapes uh, on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. This is what he wants to give you in the silence and the solitude, that you can trust him, that he will show you the next step, that he is with you even when it seems impossible. As I looked at pictures of mountain goats, because you know me, I love pictures, and I wanted to capture this and have a picture of this on my office wall, I realized that mountain goats the uh, mountain goats uh, are in the Rocky Mountains. The ibex are more in Europe and Asia and North Africa. They can rest anywhere. And so they can rest in a place where it seems like there is no rest. It is so rocky and so uneven. It is not, in my mind, the quiet picture of the beautiful meadow and the quiet stream of Psalm 23. And yet the principle is the same. God's rest is available even in the midst of the most inhospitable circumstances. He can allow you to lie down in rest even though everything around you seems impossible and uncomfortable. And then there is joy. Okay, I look at these mountains and (laughs) I think there's no way I'm going to play up there. All it takes is one little slip and you're over the cliff. But these mountain goats leap around from rock to rock and they have so much joy and they're just playing up there. The scripture says he makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. He wants this to be the experience of your life. The circumstance doesn't change. It's still rocky. It's still a cliff. Yeah, you could slip and fall to your death, but he's going to make you as sure-footed as a deer. He's going to give you the one thing that you need to just get through this day. It is enough. Be with him in the silence and the solitude so that he can meet you there and give you what you might need. So in this scripture with Habakkuk, it talks about the even those. And for you, you might not connect to the fig blossoms and the grapes and the olives. Our life is not really around um, the pastoral and farming scene necessarily. So what I want you to do is I want you to think about what are the even those of your own life? What are the things that could be so difficult that it feels like impossible to trust God, to praise him, to rejoice? Even though my child were to die, even though the cancer doesn't go into remission, even though my spouse doesn't uh, respond in love to me the way that I might wish, even though my spouse cheats on me, even though my spouse were to die, even though my dad never showed love to me, even though I never had the chance to reconcile the relationship with my mother, What is the even though of your life? What are the things that is so difficult and so painful that it is hard to say, I will trust you, God. I will rejoice. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation, even though 
So what's your even though, the thing that you need to bring to God and say, even though this, I'm going to sit in silence and I'm going to rejoice in, in you, God, in who you are. Even if this circumstance doesn't change, I will rejoice in you. So we're coming to communion. We want to celebrate communion this morning. It's an opportunity for us to remember what it is that God has done for us, that he sent his son who died on the cross for us, who took our sins and our shame upon himself, who suffered and died for us. When we take the bread and we take the juice, we're remembering that his body was broken for us and that his blood was shed for us. But before we come to communion, I want us to actually practice what I've been talking about. We're going to practice just a minute of silence. The band's going to be playing quietly in the background. And I just want you to close your eyes and to be in the silence for a moment. To give him those even those, the things that are difficult. To just trust and sit in that silence and say, I trust you. Don't know what it looks like. I don't know what the answer are. We're not searching for the answers right now. We're just saying, I trust you, God. So we're going to be silent for a minute, and then I'll call you to come, and we'll partake of communion, and we will celebrate and remember what it is that he has done. So let us first just come into silence. Thank you for tuning into our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.